I'm listening to Joey Diaz's newest podcast. Um, Joey Diaz, I think, is one of the funniest stand-up comedians of all time. I've seen the dude at least four times in SF, you know, talked to him briefly outside of Cobb's. Um, he's from the same part of Jersey I'm from, and the dude does not give a f- fuck about anything. So when this whole pandemic hit, you know, he was part of that whole exodus of Los Angeles comics, you know, obviously Rogan, you know, spearheading that campaign and the dude moved back to Jersey and fans of his podcast didn't know if he was going to do it again because his producer moved, I think, to Wisconsin or Lee Syatt. And then I started seeing like things on like, or, like Instagram or something. It was one of my podcastings. And then I saw that he released this new his new podcast. And it's called Uncle Joey's Joint. <laughs> and if, for people who don't know Joey Diaz, he's just a big old Cuban Jersey dude who just smokes weed like a chimney. And he just tells it like it is. Um, and in the first episode of this new podcast, he... He had me in tears within the first 10 minutes. And, you know, the reason I'm a fan of him is because he does not give a fuck. He doesn't care. He does what he wants to do. You know, I'm doing this podcast. I have no idea what I'm doing. I literally have no clue. Uh, I'm, I'm like cold calling or cold emailing, however you want to call it, all these authors. And a lot of them want to talk to me. And then it's kind of always the same thing. It's like the first two, three, four minutes, they're kind of feeling me out. You know, I'm, if, I'm, if we're doing like a Zoom thing, I'm wearing like a fish shirt. And, you know, they're like, you know, who is this dude? And But once they realize I'm not an idiot and we start talking and I, I know books, you know, they kind of they all loosen up and, you know, they kind of show themselves. And, you know, a lot of these authors, I, I would love to live in a world where they didn't have to feel like they're censored. But then that got me thinking, like, you know, not necessarily saying that the, the people I'm talking to feel that they're censored. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, but, you know, I know that what the stuff I write, I write exactly what I want to write. And at the end of the day, again, you know, I, 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 I'm talking a lot about humor and trying to be funny. Uh, I like to be funny. <laughs> maybe, maybe the one reason I'll never do stand-up comedy is because I would, you know, it's like, it's like the drummer who, it's like the drummers who always want to be guitar players, and the guitar players that always want to be drummers. Nobody wants to be the bass player, and then someone just has to be a singer. But they get to, always in a band, guitarists always want to be a drummer. Like they're always trying to get behind a drum kit, and drummers are always trying to ask guitarists how to teach them a G chord. <laughs> and so. You know, I wonder if some authors, you know, if they could, you know, if they could do uh, the Stephen King thing. Well, he did, uh, shit, I forget the name. It was like Bachman or he, he wrote four short stories. One of them was uh, the basis of the running man and under a different name, you know, and I, I, I would have to look it up. I don't think anyone knew Stephen King at that time. Obviously, people know it now. Um but I'm curious if like some authors that I talk to or that maybe I will talk to or even anyone, even a musician or a painter or anyone, if they could create like a separate identity and do things maybe that they would actually really want to do. I don't know. 
maybe I'll never get published because I'm writing the stuff that I want to write. And then maybe that just defeats the whole purpose. But then again, I'm not writing to get published. I'm also not doing this podcast to make money. <laughs> so, you know, these are two things, again, that I just got that it's just that's how that's what's going on in my life. Um, yeah. Every day I'm super grateful that the business is there working my ass off. But when I'm not working with the dogs, I, you know, I'm doing the right now. I'm doing this podcast. I'm trying to book guests. You know, I, I, I think I want to talk to people <clears throat> other than just authors. I feel like I feel like I could talk to anybody. Whether they want to talk to me is a different story. <laughs> but I could piggyback off at anything. I mean, I've talked to people drier than a saltine cracker, and I could still get something out, you know, out there. Uh, but yeah, but just going back to that idea of being like someone different, you know, the Billy Joel song, The Stranger. You know, we all have a face that we hide away forever. You know, the mask we take themselves and show whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> Which uh, also props to Adam Sandler for including that in one of the best movies I've seen in a long time, um, Uncut Gems. Um, yeah, I think it was towards the end of the movie. He just, that, that song just comes in the soundtrack, and it's just... I think the scenes that he's running or something like that... Man, that hit. That hit. That would be a dope job. <laughs> Actually, yeah, talking... That's so funny. Recently, uh, whoever's in charge of the music for sports on Fox has been playing a bunch of Fish and Grateful Dead. Um, and it's been like a big news among like a spurt, you know, when it first started happening, I think it first started happening in the Super Bowl, the last Super Bowl, or maybe the one before that. But when it happened, it was big news in the fish community. But it seems to be happening more and more. But yeah, that'd be a dope job. But all right, yeah, this is getting weird. Um, cool. Thanks again. And check us out at Writing Friction on Instagram and Twitter. And again, I'll say it. I'll probably never do it, but I'll start tweeting at some point. Um, also, yeah, the biggest thing now is if, if you are finding this funny or, you know, these episodes, you know, if you dig into these author interviews, uh, you know, there's some golden nuggets, man. There is some dope info. And I just hope I'm not the only one <laughs> listening to this podcast and like getting, you know, this is unbelievable advice these people are, are talking about and just inspirational. Um, listen to this next episode and please give us a follow on Instagram at Writing Friction and on Twitter, Friction Writing. Uh, and as always, just tell people about the show. If you like books, if you know people who like books, if you know people who like to write, whoever the fuck, just tell them. Uh, we're doing something cool here. It seems to, you know, be picking up more and more every week. The guests, I mean, I've, yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. I'm stoked. All right, cool, everyone. I will see you later. Peace. What's going on, everyone? 
and welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool and also from New Jersey. Everyone say hello to Mark Lehner. How are you, Mark? Excellent. Uh, I, I love the backdrop. I mean, I used to have a white backdrop behind me and then everyone complained. So I had to get the posters, but I appreciate the actual brick. It actually does add a nice little touch. Well, I, yeah, you have no idea. It sort of gives no clue as to my actual location. I, I, I was going to ask, where are you? Are you bunkering down? Are you in Jersey? I was going to say, it's an underground bunker. It's a former aluminum smelting factory in, in Serbia. <laughs> <laughs> I had um I had on Julia Phillips. I'm not sure if you're if you know her, but she had an, a new book, yeah. Disappearing Earth, and uh she I mean moved to Siberia for two plus years to write that book. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Very interesting. But you're also kind of an interesting guy, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. Um, you know, that's an interesting thing you bring up because um I've been I've been interested. I mean, I sort of as a lay person and as a writer in the needs that various other writers seem to have for special kinds of environments. Mm -hmm. Some, there are people who need to go and be in deep isolation. Some, well, like this in the woods in Siberia, there are people I know who need to go to writers colonies, Mm -hmm. which seems really like some clear definition of hell, of hell on earth. Being the question I was going to ask, have you ever been trapped in a remote place with only, other writers oh yeah um and there are people that need you know have special places within their homes and have studios and offices and all kinds of things like that right and i i on the other hand i don't know what this says about me seemingly don't need any of that i can sort of be in the middle of uh like the housewares department i could i could write in in an ikea Mm-hmm. In the middle of a, a store. Yeah. I, I'm just used to sort of, I don't know, it's like a, some form of, I, I maybe learned as a kid of, of sort of spacing out and, be, and creating a kind of enclosed space within what would, what would seemingly be the most inhospitable place. Well, and it, it could be, you know, and again, we were talking before the podcast, you were born in, you know, in Jersey City. Um, you know, I was born and raised a couple of miles north of that. It's yeah. an interesting part of the country to be born and raised in, especially, you know, Jersey City. I mean, you, you know, Manhattan's literally three minutes away. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think if you're going to be a writer living in that locale, you naturally have to be able to block all that shit out. Well, also, uh, it, it not only it's I'd go one step further. It's not even something I care to block out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I was, I was raised near a, a main street in Jersey City as a little boy. So at night I would hear buses, you know, and it, it's comforting to me to sort of hear the sounds of, of, of sort of life around me. And when, and the first time I ever lived in a place that was really unlike that. It was in graduate school in Boulder, Boulder, Colorado. Most definitely, yeah. And I had this nice, nice little apartment. This was graduate school, and 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 you know, not far from the Rockies, from the mountains. I mean, it comes into the town. <laughs> and right, exactly. Yeah. And the first couple of weeks or months, I mean, it 
it was so unnerving to me how, how quiet, like at night, how quiet it was and, and, you know, quote unquote peaceful. It just, I just was not used to that. Yeah. I, I was used to the comfort of being in neighborhoods of hearing people around. So, you know, that's sort of, it still abides for me. You know, I'm, I'm very happy if I'm working on something to have people coming in and out, it doesn't bother me. You know, yeah. But, yeah, well, I think it sort of shows in my work. I think my my stuff is very porous to the outside world. And in my books, um, things enter into them that ha that I overheard or happened to me in the course of the day of the writing of it. You know, it's not it's not um, siloed off from the rest of the world as much as um, I think a lot of writers um, like to keep a very clear separation and have a kind of almost, and I'm not saying this at all in a critical way, it's just different, have a kind of consecrated space for themselves. You yeah. Know? And, and that's what, you know, and that this podcast is really shining light on that, you know, speaking to different authors, I won't get too deep and I won't name any names, but there are certain authors where I'm doing the podcast with them and you see they're in a white room <laughs> and I'm like, and I asked them, I'm like, Oh, so where are you? Like, well, you know, this is where I, I write and I live and I eat and I sleep. And I'm like, Okay. Right. Well, that's how you do it. You know, again, I, we were talking before the podcast, I own my own business. You know, I have to be able to write doing laundry. I have to be yeah. able to write with my puppy. I have right. to, be able to, I'm writing on my phone. You know, we'll, we'll get into all that. Um, I well, oh, no, no, you bring, we're, you're bringing up now this conversation is, is, is going the way sort of my, my work goes, which is kind of everywhere at once. It's and very yeah. centered. The center is everywhere. Yeah. But, um, um, what you were just saying about um, needing to, in the middle of something, go do laundry, go walk a dog, do something. I have really found, if you, I can't even recall, let's just take this, this new book of mine, which is called Last Orgy of the Divine Hermit. Um, I'd be hard pressed to um, come up in my mind with a time where I was sitting there writing it. I just can't recall that part. Yeah. I just am, I'm aware of things accumulating, bits and pieces accumulating somehow on the way to something or scrawling something actually in the laundry room or, or at the supermarket or walking from one place to another. Or especially when I first wake up and I'm drinking coffee and I'm maybe reading, looking at the paper or something, scrawling, scrawling, scrawling then which doesn't even seem like, it never seems like work. It never seems to me like I sit down yeah. and in this sort of the traditional, you know, image of a writer, this is the traditional image of a writer. It's thinking, 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 and then writing, transcribing the thoughts, thinking more. Never. I don't think I've ever done that. It's more <laughs> of a, a, a kind of scavenging around and accumulating material and then working it into, into something much I more mean, like that. So, you know, you've been writing for a while and obviously, you know, this is the first time we're talking. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, has it always been like that for you when you first started writing? When did you kind of get serious about writing? I mean, you said you went to graduate school. Was that part of the whole plan? I mean, you know, take us back to the kind of the beginning of where you came from. I think the beginning Um, in Jersey City, one, one set of grandparents 
had a, a house on, on a, what was called the Boulevard, one of the main streets in Jersey City. And they had a, a, a nice big living room and um, with this sort of archway leading into the dining room. On either side of the archway were book, uh, books, you know, from sort of floor to ceiling. And I, being little, I mean, I'm still little, but I was even littler yeah. then. I would look, I would just gaze up at these books with some kind of almost, almost religious, well, a kind of awestruck reverence of, of books. I just thought that that was the most fantastic thing. And maybe I didn't, I didn't think of doing it because it just seemed beyond me. Mm-hmm. It seemed that my capacity is to ever write something. Yeah. But, that, but I remember, I still remember very vividly that feeling. Of, of kind of reverence for the books. Then later, when I was maybe 12, 13, um, I, ju- I, I wanted to be a writer. I didn't know what that meant. I think one of the reasons, and I, I've talked about this many times to people, um, I had more of a, I had a kind of generalized, a kind of nonspecific, impulse to make things for people. I did, I, at some point, I think some of it was inspired by, by music. I've, again, I've talked about this. Sort what of were you listening stuff. to? Well, when I'm, I'm talking, if we go back to when I was like eight or something, yeah. um, I have a, I mean, for me, famous memory of seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Most, okay, so you, you were part of that. You witnessed that. My father, and, my father as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And thinking, I mean, yes, I'm one of these horrendous people who will talk to you about the Beatles. <laughs> talk to, you know. But he just released a new album. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to talk about the relative merits of the Beatles yeah. versus anything else. I like a lot of music and a lot of really contemporary yeah. music of all sorts. But the point I'm making here is, I saw this thing when I was eight or whatever and thought I would like to be able to do something that had an effect on other people. I mean, I wasn't necessarily thinking of screaming adolescent girls or something, although that, that may be, I think that's a laudable effect (laughs) of of anything you do. Um, But so I think even from that time, I, I had an idea of wouldn't it be wonderful if I could make something and sort of hand it to another person and the other and it would create a kind of new experience for that person. Yeah. Some kind of joyful, maybe sublime, maybe maybe terrifying, maybe sort of psychedelic, I don't know, any whatever, but have an effect, have an effect. And I think as I, as I got older, to, from a really practical perspective, writing seemed like the most feasible thing. I mean, that's something anyone, it doesn't require much in terms of, you know, equipment. None. Right? And plus, I had, as I said to you before, this, this which was family-wide, the idea of being a writer in my family, and there, there were no writers. But, you know, books, books were a big thing. 
Mm-hmm. So is uh, that what brought you eventually to Boulder? Was it writing? I mean, is that... So what- then I started, and I started writing um, poetry in my early teens. Uh, I had a, a column for my high school newspaper, and then I went to college, and I would... And, and I think by then I, I thought of myself as that, you know, and I was really serious about it in college. I got some award when I graduated. Shockingly, I didn't expect for being, I don't know what, you know, uh, but for, for my pro, for prose, I think they gave out two awards. I was in various creative writing classes and I was, became very serious about it. And at the, uh, the, I, from the advice of one of the people, one of my sort of mentors in college, I applied to a couple of places for writing programs. I didn't yeah. even know such a thing existed. Yeah. It seemed kind of ridiculous. It's it still does, but that's okay. It, it, a little bit, but yeah. I mean, yeah. It, well, we talked about that before. I mean, you know, yeah, the yeah, writers. You know, I have I, I have <laughs> mixed feelings about writing programs, but yeah. I had a one I had a wonderful experience, and we can talk about that later. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't try to dissuade anyone from doing it at all. But um, uh, and I ended up going to Boulder, yeah, because I I didn't apply to that many places. I I think I applied to. I might have just applied to two Johns Hopkins and University of Colorado in Boulder. And I got, you know, I was lucky. I got into both. Um, it seemed to me that Baltimore was somewhat similar to Jersey City. Like, so I kind of said, okay, I've done that. And Boulder. Not was far off. There. Yeah. Boulder <laughs> was so different. So I did that. Okay. And that's how I ended up in Boulder. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, what are you writing? Or what are you writing at that time? Are you thinking long form fiction? I mean, you've written. Some yeah. Of at that things. time, I had at some time in college, I kind of switched over. It, it was it was a big it was a decisive kind of foundational decision. I because I just because I had been writing poetry and I really loved reading poetry and I I started thinking why I started thinking that a lot of prose that I was reading probably prose that I was reading in courses I had to take I mean I was an English major yeah um just seemed um sort of lack lax to me it seemed like there was a lot of downtime there there was a lot of prose that was it's my dog playing with the light don't worry (laughs) i thought it was i thought i was having one of those mini strokes that's no 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 no. everyone's well aware of reba on the podcast don't worry (laughs) um keep talking i'll fix it i thought it seems to me in prose there is um as i said i don't know a kind of you know how i've sort of I, you read about like on chromosomes and things junk dna it's yeah it's sort of taking up space but there it doesn't seem to be doing anything particularly it's not instructing the production of any specific protein carbohydrates any, you know <laughs> so i i began thinking i wonder if i wonder if one could write prose that had this sort of intensity where, where it all felt sort of indispensable and intense and important the way lines and poems do you know 
so that's I, 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 that's when I started to try. I mean, so I figured I'd try to do that. Yeah. I, well, I mean, even the titles of your books are intense. I mean, you know, uh, it seems like that's kind of your personality. Was it coming out in your writing? It, it, it may be my personality, but it, it, it's very, you, and that's a, a key thing. I, um, I decided what every, everything should be that way. Everything should be at this kind of heightened pitch. It's, it's kind of change. like, you know, um, edible utensil edible plates and utensils or something or the the pieces where the crust is also filled with cheese that that's my philosophy like just put put cheese in everything yeah you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you should be able to eat every like everything the table the utensils the plates uh -huh. your dinner companion everything should have cheese in it and be edible that's that's my philosophy well, so, so you're so you're bubbling with all this stuff, and you you go to Boulder, which is not really that kind of vibe, but it's a different vibe, and you do that, and right. then you move back east. Um, what's you know? It's I funny when I was in Boulder, people would say to me, "You're obviously from the East Coast." I get it. But, but I mean, from from look like, and I would go, "How do you know?" I mean, this before we spoke. Oh, just I, from the way you walk, and you're kind of. You, you don't seem particularly laid back or calm and you seem like you're there, you're troubled by something or other. And, you know, I don't know. I've been living in San Francisco for almost 10 years and not a single day goes by. Not one. And I'm, I'm a happy go lucky guy. It's not, but it's, I am, I guess I come off, I speak loud and, right. and, and people, we're, we're loud. We speak quickly. We we're the volume is high yeah, and loud. I'm Jewish too. So it's like, it's even times 10 and it's like, right, right. people are just like, I did a, I did a podcast. I don't know if you know him, Bob Lefsetz and um, you know, he's a Jewish guy from the, yeah. and at the end of the podcast, he's like, well, you're obviously very Jewish. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't know what it is. Yeah. But all right. So, all right. But I, to be honest in, I don't want to go too much into Jersey, but yeah. it's always it's always benefited me being that kind of person who's you know grew up where I grew up and moving to the West Coast, which is just a different vibe. It's helped me gain footings on things that I otherwise might not have been able to, just because of my personality and the, like you know what I'm from a place where it's just like everyone's just fucking always just constantly bustling or you have to have that mentality you have yeah. to i think it's i agree and i think the only way i've been able to do what i've been doing yeah for as long as i've been doing it i'm i'm gonna be 65 in a week you know great mark oh thank you um i don't know yeah if you're if you're just saying that if do you really uh, trust do? me you should say uh, right. <laughs> um I'm I'm a gym rat, so you you can't tell. Same here, I, yeah. I'm not taking my clothes off, but no um, I do. Um, yeah, I mean, I like to feel, you know, feel feel fit. But um, the the sort of um, I've always felt that um, to use a autom automotive expression that I idle high, you know, like at high like RPM high, and. I don't think I, and I think that's an East Coast thing. I think it's especially, it, it may be a, especially an East Coast Jewish thing, <laughs> I don't know, you know, of but course. it's certainly me. And I think it's enabled me, I think that trait, which is a kind of physiological trait, 
has something, if not a lot, if not everything to do with the style I have, which is that, which is what I described. And an uh, interesting thing, I think at some point, if you live that way, if you live, if you idle high and live at that sort of pitch, it will catch up with you physically at some point. Mm-hmm. Like I went, you know, I, I was at the doctor recently and, and, who, and I've always known this, I have sort of high blood pressure. I mean, it's just like, ah, ah, you know, and when I'm in the midst of a book, it's writing just, a book, writing a book, it's just 24 hour, seven day a week thing. I, I am never not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I hear or see in the world that I don't run through some kind of like algorithm to see if it'll, if there's a place for it in, in the book, Every, everything. Well, were you kind of aware of that early on when you were getting into those first books? I mean, mm, I was aware that I wanted to try to bring the world into what I was writing yeah. in a different way from what I saw in other writers mm-hmm. that I wanted um, to have a very, Inclusive, very open, almost in, almost kind of insanely inclusive notion of what content was, you know, and allow things to come into the work. Um, almost, uh, you know, sort of have a completely permeable membrane where every, anything can come in, you know, and um um, and I think that evolved into a, a sort of in that vague idea of what I would like the work to feel like evolved into a kind of methodology that's this intense, you know, I, I was watching because my daughter's visiting, you know, over the holidays. She she lives in Brooklyn. Okay. And um, so we watched that movie Bugsy. Do you know the movie? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Dustin Hoffman. No, no, oh, I'm, no, I'm thinking of something. <laughs> Different I'm just going to make you guess. That was so off. That was so wrong. What's the movie where he play? It's a similar title. He, he, he's either a cross dresser or. Oh, Tootsie. I was, I was close. I have never heard anyone ever mention Tootsie and Bugsy in the same conversation. <laughs> and now you, you are so you are more out of your mind than I it's am. It's ridiculous. Yeah, okay. All right. So I'm sorry. So you're so that's a, I like the I like a, I like the double feature, Tootsie and Bugsy. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, Bugsy is about Bugsy Siegel. Most um, definitely. And his and I was just talking to my daughter and my wife about this. In that movie, and you have seen that movie. No, Bugsy. no, I haven't. I'm well aware of oh, Bugsy. Okay. I'm well, well aware of Bugsy. Sure, you should see it. It's a great movie. Yeah. Um, and it's really about, among, uh, among several things, but uh, in the most reductive sense, it's about this gangster, Jewish gangster's obsession with building the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas, which really began, it was really... In a, in a way, you could say he kind of invented Las Vegas. And he, he died for it because he just kept spending more of the mob's money and eventually they uh, decided enough was enough. But his obsession with building the Flamingo Hotel reminded me very much of how I feel in the midst of working on something. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's just everything. And, and it's it, always it, been that way. For in you. a really obsessive kind of crazy, crazy way. But it's, a, it's my way at this point. 
has it always been that way for you? I mean, even back, you know, in your twenties. No, it's gotten more and more, more and yeah. more that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, what were you doing to support yourself early on? I mean, were you working odd jobs uh, and things like that? The, I had a teaching assistantship in graduate school uh, or fellowship, whatever it was called at the time. So I got a little money from that. Yeah. And it's also a different time. It's not 2020. Also, life was incredibly cheap. Yeah. I, I, I was telling someone this the other day. I had a really nice apartment. It was an apartment complex, which had a tennis court and a pool. I, I don't think I was ever in the pool, but I played tennis. I, it was a perfectly reasonable apartment. Nice size living room, little dining room, little kitchen, nice bedroom. But I mean, the, and the Rockies were right there. It was yeah. gorgeous. Um, and it was $250 a month. Seriously. Um, that's, they, ra- yeah. they raised the rent while between my first and second year to 275 or something. Yeah. And I went crazy. Like I went storming to the manager and said, what, this is, a, it's so excessive. What are you talking about? You know, yeah, can you imagine? I don't know, but yeah, I'm a, I can imagine. That kind of money. <laughs> so, um, and then after graduate school, I was a waiter. Yeah. Uh, I think the first kind of job job I had was writing, was as a copywriter, writing oh, okay. for a, an electronics company. I don't think it exists anymore, called Panasonic. And, I haven't heard of it. And then I, I kind of used that. I might have taught a little bit. Yeah. Um, as an ad, uh, what do you call it? Adjunct? Is that what okay. it's called? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I never really. But you <laughs> wanted to be a writer. I mean, you're doing all this. I never things. really liked teaching. It's not something I, I've ever done. I mean, I'm probably one of the rare, rare writers that you speak to in this forum who doesn't do that. Uh, but I did more co- copywriting. I had a job at a couple of ad agencies. Mm-hmm. And at some point, stopped doing that and began to support myself from, just, from a combination of my books, which never made a hell of a lot of money, but some between the advance I would get from the books and doing sort of magazine work, okay. I, I supported myself. Yeah. Then at some point, I started doing a little sort of Hollywood stuff, like script doctoring and things like that. How did, how did you make that jump? Um, I think I'm trying to give you an accurate, I don't want to perjure myself. And, uh, and while you're thinking of it also, was it a different, I mean, were you nervous about entering that world? Was that a world you had known previously? I mean, had you ever written? Oh, I was very nervous. I was very nervous about There was a guy who liked one of my books, a book okay. called Et Tube. And he wanted to uh, um, make it into a movie or write a script. And, he, and so he arranged a, a, a screening of one of his movies in Manhattan. And I went to see it. And um, I said, okay. I mean, I didn't see any reason for saying no, really. And he wrote a script. And... Um, it was really the book kind of typed into final draft. It was, there, you know, but, and, and he, we, he was a nice guy. And we became, Were you not happy about that? No, I, it was fine. I uh, just, I just thought, huh, I just made me think, Hmm, 
I don't know if you've ever used Final Draft. Final Draft is a, a it's a it's a screenwriting program. But, I'm aware of it. Yeah, but it's very it does a lot of things. Like it almost immediately you 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 can just you type something on it and suddenly it formats it and you have like 30 pages of a script and you had just written your name or something. It almost <laughs> writes writes for you yeah. for itself. That but so I think that was and then um, we worked together a bit on that. And then we did a couple of other things together. Okay. He, he lived in, he lived in LA. Um, and we then you never thought about moving out there. Then yes, I, ever I have thought about it three, uh, many times yeah. and have spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time in Los Angeles, but through this guy, I be, I began doing some screenplays of my, some with him and then some on my own. Uh, and then, you know, had some representation and started doing that a bit. Uh -huh. And, and at some point, and this was a kind of pivotal thing that happened and a, a pivotal in terms of a very good, long-standing relationship. Um, the, the actor, John Cusack read one of my books at two babe, uh, uh, the same book, actually. same book. And but this was later. This was years later. Do you find uh, it interesting that it's your first book that's picking up this kind of traction? Well, that wasn't the first. Oh, I'm book. sorry. The, it's the there were books before. Oh, uh, there, okay. There was a book. Um, there was a book. Um, I smell Esther Williams was really my first. Oh, book. okay, okay. Then a book called My Cousin, My Gastroenterologist. I think it too babe might have been the. But third. that was a short story collection, right? This is we're talking novels and the, short they stories. They were both really short story collections. For some reason, with. Uh, my cousin, my gastroenterologist, there was, yeah. I think the, I think the book company called it a novel, maybe because novels sell better. I don't know. Yeah. And so I was constantly asked whether it was actually a novel or, okay. you know, um, so, so that one, which, which, so that is, one, a, which is a, a particularly uninteresting question, I think what it is. I mean, yeah. I, so, but anyway, so the third book was Atube, and at some point, um, John Cusack got in touch with me. And at the time I was, when he got in touch with me, I was working on a television show, actually, that, that uh, Peter, the director, Peter Berg, uh, was doing for ABC. And I was working on it, and Cusack called the office. I remember this very well because... Um, because John Cusack's not, calling you. Well, people were <laughs> not believing that this person was actually calling me. Yeah. Um, anyway, we started uh, working together on things and um, became became friends. We're very good friends to this day. And and John was very helpful in getting me little things too, little script doctoring things and whatnot. And that became script doctoring for people that don't know. A, silly term just means uh there's a script and the producers think it needs a little work you know a little doctoring you know mm -hmm. so and so that turned out all of that turned out to be oh probably over the last 15 20 20 years the way that i support myself through doing that now and then and and then my books. So going back to kind of the beginning, that, that became so so the sort of script work, either writing scripts from scratch or script doctoring kind of thing, kind of replaced 
the copywriting as or or replace the magazine writing mm -hmm. as a way for me to earn enough money to be able to devote myself to the thing. I mean, the only thing I really love doing is writing these books. I don't love doing the script stuff. I mean, it's a whole other thing. You asked me if I was nervous when I first started doing it. Yes, terrified. In fact, I had all kinds of physical symptoms of like anxiety and panic attacks and things. You know, I would get uh, chest tension and dizziness and all this stuff for the first thing I did. And um, which was ridiculous because it's not that, not to say it's not hard, but we've all grown up watching TV and watching movies. It's not like it's not, we don't know what this is. And I just read a few and it became much more comfortable. Well, that was going to be my question I, I wanted to ask. You say you're nervous about getting into that. Is there someone who's teaching you how to, I mean, or is teaching you how no, to do No, I mean, you can do that. A lot of people do that. And again, a lot of people go to school for it. Of and course, of course. People take courses and do all this stuff. And again, I hasten to say, if that's what a person wants to do, that's fine. I really think this can be learned by simply reading a script. I would say all you need to do is read one. You may only need to read five pages of one. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's that hard to learn how to do this. You just need to see what the format is yeah. and then imagine you're watching something and that's it. I don't, you know, there are, there are all kinds of methodologies. Uh, there are all kinds of sort of pedagogical methodologies about teaching people how to do it and, you know, three-act structure and all these kinds of things. But, uh, you know, the structure of narratives is so, we've been so inculcated with it. I mean, it's like second nature. We, we know that, mm -hmm. you know, you have, you have, I mean, this is a classic situation. I'm, my books are nothing like this, but, you know, you introduce a character, you show the character has some dilemma, you know, uh, they try to solve the dilemma, there's a crisis, and then there's some resolution of the crisis. That's every fucking movie ever seen anywhere, ever, mm -hmm. except for interesting movies that don't do that. But, you know, for the most part. The movies you go to the multiplex to see are kind of based on that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's worth spending tens of thousands of dollars somewhere to learn how to do, but who am I? To, you know. yeah, I and for people who are not watching or listening to the podcast or the audio, I'm wearing my Soprano shirt. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you're talking, I mean, you just described the first episode of The Sopranos. And it's like, you know, the best television, the best movies, the things like I'm watching, I'm getting a lot of shit for it, but I'm about to finish The Crown on right. Netflix, which I think is brilliant. I love I, no, I just, that's so funny you say that because last night um, I was saying to, Gabby, my daughter, and my wife, you know, I've been hearing a lot of good stuff because we're always looking for something. Like, you know, I, 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 I love Succession. I mean, Breaking Bad to me is kind of my, my gold standard. Okay. And, and The Sopranos. I mean, there, there are a couple, you know, that are just sort of magnificent. Yeah. I, I think probably... The Sopranos and Breaking Bad are the two greatest kind of long form. Well, you said Baltimore. I'm surprised you're not saying The Wire. I, I mean, I, but this is, I'm, 
I've, you're going to hate me for this. I've never seen, my daughter keeps telling me, when are you going to do the wire? I just have yeah. to, I need to do it. So, do well, it. Spe- so speaking of books, movie, I mean, that was based off a book, Homicide, that David Simon right. wrote, um, right. which I'm actually, I'm pointing out because I have like 30 pages left in it. Um, but yeah, but, but the crown, it's, it's slow. Um, yeah. It's very slow, but the dialogue, I mean, the way that the, the writers of this show, fuck, yeah i mean as um, someone who works doing i mean you should appreciate it um it's it's a great show um all right yeah we're going all over the place and it's great i, okay. I love this i love this stuff um okay. so i mean are you able to at this point in your career can you kind of just hop between those but two worlds very easily screenwriting and novel writing i mean is it no first of all I would be, it would be inaccurate to say that I just have constant work and I'm turning down. Of course. Screen work and stuff. You know, I have to hustle a bit for it. Sometimes there isn't any. Um, um, so. But like working that muscle. That's something that sometimes, sometimes there are sort of dry periods with that. Sometimes someone will say, hey, do you want to, uh, work on this. I can, I can sort of hook you up with this person. Um, the book writing is, I mean, I do all the time and I, I will, if, if I'm, I could be destitute and on the street and I would be doing it. I mean, that's what I am. You know, if you, I use sometimes the example, uh, it, it, I am just intrinsically that, that is what I writing books, writing these books that I do is when I feel most kind of engaged with sort of the with with the universe, most most, you know, vividly alive. Nothing comes close. Nothing comes close to that. The other stuff is really just, you know, like my version of babysitting or mowing lawns or something. It's how I make a little money i don't have that feeling for it in any way that i do for the book for books. And are you are you the kind of guy do you work on one book at a time or you kind of yeah. always work yeah one yeah. project at a time yeah again because it's it's kind of my if i have a if i have if i do have a um definable kind of aesthetic or aesthetic philosophy it would include everything, as I was saying before, everything going into that book. It, the, the idea that something is it might be extraneous or doesn't belong in this book doesn't exist for me. I, so it would be impossible for me to be working on, let's say, two, three things and coming upon some interesting, let's say I overhear something at the supermarket and I think, or, and I play with that a little and I have that as a kind of card, almost a playing card. It's not my way to think, okay, which pile, which project is this going to go? It all goes into the thing I'm writing all. And, and part of my, part of my methodology in making a book is how, how do I write something that can accommodate such a wildly diverse, wildly disparate and miscellaneous material. That's kind of one of the problems in a good way, you know, that I begin with, needing to solve what do i do with this stuff and you're talking about you know standing in line in a grocery store in, in jersey city I, you know that that's going to lead to a lot of things happening at once 
when an idea pops into your head, are you the, or do you write it down on your phone? Do you take a voice memo? Do you are you able to kind of just hold on to it and remember it and get back well, to it later? Well, it's changed as technology's changed. I used to when I when years and years ago when when I had jobs and I would go to a job, drive to a job in the morning, I was thinking I would be, make stuff up as I drove. You know, and I would have those experiences. I'm sure you've had the experience of having a drive, like a half hour, 40 minute drive. And you're there and you have no memory of having driven there. I used to commute every day from Mawa, New Jersey to Fort Lee before. That was my commute. Yes, Um, I had a job. I had a a job for a number of years in Fort Lee. And in fact, I would commute my commute. I had two jobs where this would happen. And I was working on... um, Maybe the same book or two different books. Yeah. One involved driving from Hoboken to Summit, New Jersey, which is like 40 minutes, I think. The other involved driving from Hoboken to Fort Lee, which I'd say is like oh, a half hour. Really? Yeah. And I would kind of compose stuff in my head and be so immersed in it that I had no memory of the drive. I was in, which I think is really interesting because part of your mind, obviously, I wasn't mowing people down on the street. I wasn't killing anyone. So I was, part of my brain was driving fairly well. But a big part of my brain was involved in this other thing. And they were very separate in doing their thing independently. But the, the stuff I was kind of, you know, concocting in my head, I would keep repeating to myself so that it was almost like it was an oral tradition of one. It, instead of an oral tradition being passed down from generation to generation. It was just constantly passed down to me. So that when I would get (laughs) to the office where I was working, I would sort of burst in, not let anyone talk to me because I'd forget, go to wherever, if I had an office or a cubicle, whatever, and type the stuff before I forgot it. And I could, I, I was really good at it. I could remember verbatim, I mean, with no mistakes, like two, three pages worth of stuff that I had thought of in the car. So that's how I, I mean, I started doing it, just keeping it. Then obviously if I could, you know, I would always have a pad and jot things down and, you know, now, yes, now I'll use my phone. If I'm at the gym, I write stuff down on my phone or wherever I am. Yeah. I'm into, uh, Mark, this has been an absolute pleasure. My dog is making a mess of the uh, apartment. Hold on. Thank you. Um, I always ask at this part, what are you doing right now? You have the new book. Can you tell us the title of it again? I can tell you the title. I don't know if people are going to see this, but yeah, this we can is see the book. How, wait, how do you get these? I got to ask, how do you get these names for these books? <laughs> and, and who's giving you the okay? Everyone's all good with it always, right? No. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. First of all, the name is really important to me because first of all, I, I like, and sometimes, and I think frequently I'll have the title early on. Yeah. In, in some ways, I think my books are simply the, the books are the, the book in its entirety is an explanation of why it's called that. <laughs> the books are just explanations of the titles. Yeah. But I, I just love, first of all, I, I like being able to tell someone, oh, I'm working on such and such. It's sort of like having a dog, a dog and you test the name on it. It's, yeah, I, yeah, I can imagine it. It probably pushes people certain ways. Yeah. I'm just like being able to, you know, if someone says, what are you doing? What's, are you working on anything? Yeah. Last story of the Divine Hermit. You know? You know? 
I, rather than just saying, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a book, it's a novel. I mean, that sounds so horrible to me. But um, the title's always, to me, it's been the first, it's the first blast of the book. It needs to, you know, it needs I to agree, I agree. It needs to be something that's, that's somewhat electrifying, I think. It, why, why should it not be? And when I was younger, I mean, that's how I started reading really in the library. It was kind of like, you know, when I was 12, 13, whatever, it was more about what had the weirdest title and what, you know, as a kid, you're, you're even picking up on that idea. And I'm the same way. I try to have titles and everything that it's, it's more like. I mean, there are books and movies. I'm always joking with people like that. There are so many movies and books that have these titles like the place that was never quite there or something. Who's going to, and I think who would, who the fuck thought that was a memorable title? Someone. You know, <laughs> uh, or we were never quite who we might have been. Yeah. Like there was a whole generation of like punk rock bands in the early 2000s who had these names of, you know, like but, last dying heart. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, to me, that's always been, you know, that's the, in, in a way, that's the first piece of the text, the title. Yeah, I agree. And it's really important to me that, that it's, um, it's, it should seem like, um, you know, to me, a title should be like this. Let's say you, you've been in a mall for several hours and you leave and there's n no cars in the parking lot, none. And your car's not there. And there's this, but there's this UFO there in the middle of the parking lot. Your encounter with that situation, a reader's encounter with one of my titles should be like that. Like, how did this happen? Is, <laughs> is this a good thing? Is this a very bad thing? I it's don't kind of, know. Yeah. It's kind of how I, I feel about the podcast. Yeah. But um, you're asking, <laughs> do I have a hard time? Yes, I think Last Orgy of the Divine Hermit, I'm not going to name names, but probably someone in my publishing company probably suggested that maybe there's another title we could use uh, that indicates something else about the book. Um, I had a book, it's not the book before this, but two books ago. That's called the sugar frosted nutsack. I, well, yeah, again, I, I don't want I don't want to list them all, but yeah, if people want to look, you have uh, great fucking titles. Again, and they shall go nameless. Yeah, people who thought that might not receive a prominent place in the bookstore display, or there might be reviewers who won't. Yeah, review. They can't use it in their paper, newspaper, or whatever. Yeah. Or, and I'm really. I it's one thing I get really ferociously adamant about. No, it has to be called. Yeah. I mean, if you have a book called The Sugar Frosted Nutsack or Last Orgy of the Divine Hermit, what else could you call them? <laughs> Mark, talking to you, I think I think that's the only thing you could have called it. This has been Thank an absolute this has been an absolute pleasure. Um I asked a couple I asked a couple quick questions at the end. Um, two things. One, are you do you do social media, Twitter, Instagram, any of that yeah, kind of stuff? Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm going to maybe go back for a little bit on Facebook just because I have yeah. this book coming out. But I'm um, very, uh, I wouldn't say very active, but active on, on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. And, and, and what's your handle on Instagram and Twitter? Do you know uh, it? If not, if not, we could post it. No worries. Yeah, I'm yeah. not. I'm wondering. I think on uh, Twitter, it's uh, Laner Mark. All right. 
I think. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We'll, enough to find. We'll Just, put it in. And uh, and the last question: um, Where do people buy your books from? What's your favorite bookstore? Um, there's a bookstore in Hoboken I love. I think it's called Little City. Yeah. Um, I just so shout out to them. There are many little bookstores in Manhattan that I love. Of course, yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you ever done any readings in SF or ever, ever been out of SF? I've done readings in SF. I haven't for a while. Yeah. I did a reading at um, um, that great uh, at City Lights. Okay. I don't know if that's even going anymore. It most definitely is. Good, good. Which was yeah. really a great honor because I'd heard about that place. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I love San Francisco. I'd love, yeah. you know, hopefully when it's safe for human beings to gather together again, I can come out and, and, and we should have a drink. Thousand percent. Mark, absolute pleasure, man. Yeah, this was really fun. Without a doubt. I mean, I, well, we're all going to talk to you soon, hopefully. Okay, man. All right. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.